0: Speak that my soul may hear speak
1: Let me encourage you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off this morning in looking at the next chapter here in Luke chapter 11. Uh, This message is on teach us to pray, and you can just imagine what this is going to cover. This is about what we call the Lord's Prayer, and we'll see... Uh, that that may be a misnomer for the way we should really call this prayer so uh, let's stand as we read uh, Luke chapter 11 verse 1 down through verse 4 now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to pray this morning that as we, or this evening as we look at this prayer Father, I pray that you would lay before us some principles to guide us in our times of prayer, Uh, Father, that we would become more effectual, more fervent uh, in our prayers, more powerful in our prayers, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that... As we draw close to you and we find ourselves more and more in a right relationship with you uh, by seeking the forgiveness of the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ Lord that you would indeed hear our prayers that there would not be any hindrance in our talks with you and in our petitions before you uh, in in anything that we bring before you Lord that we would want your will to be done not our own. So lead us and let your word be a lamp unto our feet, a light into our path. Let it guide us, Lord, in every step uh, of our prayer life. And may this be powerful for changing our prayer lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I want to begin by asking you a question. I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud or even to raise your hand, but how is your prayer life? I mean, if you could grade your prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest score, what do you think you would get? Or at least what would you give yourself? Uh, notice this uh, interesting statement that was made by, jo- by Jesus in John chapter 5 and verse 19. Now, I won't have all the verses up here that we're going to look at tonight, so you may want to to, uh, jot some notes down so you can go back and look at some of these verses. We're going to look at primarily the, the verses here in Luke chapter 11, and then we're going to be flipping over back to Matthew uh, in just a moment here. But in John chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. Let me read that one more time to you, what He said. truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. No wonder prayer was a priority for Jesus because the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Now think about who this is that is saying this. This is Jesus, the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. And prayer was first in his life. Uh, all throughout his life. Jesus didn't do anything in his life without first praying about it. You find many times he got alone to pray. Maybe it was in a garden. Maybe it was in a, a place off to himself. Sometimes it was up in the, in the mountainsides where he would go to be alone to pray. But Jesus was always praying because he could not do anything without first praying about it. John chapter 5, verse 19 says that again. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. That's the Son of God who's talking. He could do nothing of himself. Not something, but absolutely nothing. And, And do you know what nothing is? It's a zero with the edges cut off. It's nothing. There's nothing there. Everything Jesus accomplished was a result of a consistent, continuous prayer life. One of the things that is so often lacking in our lives, and the reason we don't live uh, so often an effectual, fervent uh, follower as a follower of Jesus Christ is because we we, we may have a prayer life, but it's not consistent and it's not constant. Martin Luther said this. He says, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes, and it is the business of cobblers to mend shoes, it is the business, business of Christians to pray. So we need to learn that there is no substitute for prayer. And here's why. To pray to us, prayer is a weapon. Uh, in fact, when we look at uh, the, the, the spiritual armor, prayer is one of those things uh, that we have that we can use as a weapon. We have the Bible, which is the sword, uh, and then we have prayer also, uh, because then you're calling on the power of the Almighty God. You're depending upon Him and His strength to get you through whatever it is you're facing rather than depending on yourself. Psalm 56, verse 9, says this, Then my enemies will turn back... In the day when I call, this I know that God is for me. And so what the psalmist is saying there is is my enemies will turn back in the days when I call, when I pray. In fact, you won't have victory over sin, over Satan, or over self without the power of prayer. And so to Satan, prayer is a barrier. Uh, Prayer literally ties the hands uh, of the devil. And that's why we need better praying and more praying. Uh, So to us, prayer is a weapon. To Satan, prayer is a barrier. To God, prayer is a fragrance. Our prayers are never forgotten in heaven. Do you realize that, that you are what you are because of yesterday's prayers? Think about that. If you love Jesus and you love his church and you love his word and you witness for Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's probably because somewhere back in your years, in the early years of your life, somebody was praying for you. Whether that was a mom or whether that was a dad who was praying for you to come to faith in Christ, Uh, saying, God, help my child to love you. God, my children, uh, give them a desire to be saved. Give my child a, a love for you. Some of you love Jesus and share Jesus and read his word because maybe you had a Sunday school teacher who loved you and cared for you and maybe prayed something like this, dear God, what responsibility you have given me to teach these young children. I'm not sure that I can handle them, but I know that you love them And I pray for them now by name. And that Sunday school teacher began rolling off the names of every one of those children in her class, praying that they would become a Christian, praying that they would grow to love the Lord and to love His Word. And now look at you. You love the Lord. You love His Word. I'm telling you, you are today what you are because of the prayers that were offered years ago on your behalf thank God for the prayers offered in Jesus' name because they're never forgotten. Thank God for praying parents and for praying grandparents. It was my grandmother I know that prayed for me. My mom prayed for me uh, also, but I know my grandmother did too. And uh, sometimes it's those parents or grandparents. Uh, Maybe it was that Sunday school teacher or maybe it was some deacons in the church But because we are what we are today because of the prayers of, of yesterday that were offered by those parents and those friends, maybe those ministers, or or Sunday school teachers or whoever it is. Mark it down this. Prayer can do anything God can do, and God can do anything. To us, prayer is a weapon. For Satan, prayer is a barrier. To God, prayer is a fragrance. That when we pray, it comes before him as a sweet-smelling aroma. And so it's here in this passage that we're looking at in Luke's gospel here that we find the disciples of Jesus coming to him with a desire and a determination. And look what that desire is back in verse 1 again. So Jesus had been praying in a certain place. They're probably hearing his prayer. And when he finishes, so they obviously were hearing because they knew he had finished praying. And it says, when he had finished praying, one of his disciples, we're not told which one, said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now understand this, get this point here. Rather than asking Jesus, Jesus, teach us to preach, or, or Lord, teach us to witness, or Lord, teach us how to do great miracles, they came and they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Because more important than preaching and more important than witnessing and more important than doing great miracles is prayer. And because prayer can do anything God can do and God can do anything. So we often call this prayer that we read here and we read in Matthew's gospel, the Lord's prayer. But really, the Lord's prayer is found over in John's gospel, in John chapter 17. Uh, It's a long prayer that he prays there on our behalf. What we have here is the disciples' prayer. And I'll show you why. Uh, If you go down to verse 4, look at what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, "...and forgive us our sins." So if this is the prayer of Jesus, if this is the Lord's prayer, why in the world would He ask, forgive us of our sins? He can't sin. Uh, he can't sin. And so uh, we, we understand that. The sinless Savior uh, could not pray, forgive us our sins, because He had no sin to forgive. And so you see this is more the disciples' prayer than it is the Lord's prayer. Per se. And so let me say another thing before we look at this model prayer. You'll find this prayer, as we said, recorded in two places. You find it here in Luke chapter 11. You find it also in Matthew chapter 6. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it's kind of there uh, as, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and understand this the one here in Luke is shorter than the one that's in Matthew. Now, we're going to turn to Matthew, and that's the one we're really going to go through and, and pick the prayer apart there. But somebody asks, why would Jesus repeat himself and even shorten the prayer? Well, for the same reason, I have to repeat myself preaching week after week because some weren't here when I said it the first time. <laughs> you know, and so some probably weren't there when Jesus said it the first time, and they needed to hear it again. So look, if you will at verse one there again it says Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples now apparently this disciple didn't attend worship when Jesus had preached the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus was asked about it, Jesus gives him here, if you will, in Luke's gospel, the Reader's Digest, if you will, version, and Luke was there to record it. Now with that in mind, I want to ask you to turn back to Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, as we think about where we are here in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 and 2. So, hold a finger there, if you will, at Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 2, and a finger over in Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll let you let go of your finger in Luke here in just a moment. So, notice verse 2 in Luke chapter 10. And he said to them, When you pray, look over to Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Notice the first words, and when you pray. You see that? He didn't say, and if you pray. He said, and when you pray. Prayer doesn't need proof, it needs practice. One of the tests of salvation is your prayer life. I mean, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you love Jesus, you trust Jesus, you serve Jesus, you worship Jesus, you're going to talk to him. I mean, it's kind of like a marriage. I love my wife, and because I love her, I want to be with her, I want to talk to her. If I was to go a week without talking to Samantha, what would that say to her? I mean, if I went a week without talking to Samantha, the question is, what would she say to that? <laughs> and not even a week, just a day. Just a uh, 24-hour day without a word. What do you think God thinks when, uh, about your prayerlessness, about your silence? Somebody once said a prayerless soul is a Christless soul. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 there tells us, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and all the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. He says, but when you pray, in verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice again third time he says in three verses here, and when you pray. Not if, but when. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases the Gentile, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so, When you go back and you look there at verse 5, he said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What is that word? What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody who does the right things for the wrong reasons. The word was used to describe actors in a Greek drama. Uh, The the hypocrite was a play actor. Uh, They would wear a sad mask to, to pretend and be sad. They would wear a glad mask to appear to be glad. They would wear a mad mask to appear to be mad. They would pretend to be something that they weren't. And what we see today spiritually, there are churches full of hypocrites. I mean, there are people who pretend to be godlier than they really are. They pretend to be better than they really are. They pretend to be holier than they really are. And Jesus despises the hypocrite. You know, and you've probably heard, as I've heard before, uh, people say, I'm not going up to that church because it's full of hypocrites. That's like saying you're not going to the doctor because some of them are quacks. (laughs) Uh, That doesn't even make any sense. Every counterfeit Christian proves the genuineness of the real thing. I mean, think about it. That's why people uh, counterfeit $20 bills and not $1 bills. Because a $20 bill is worth something. So Jesus warns us not to pray like the hypocrites. And then when you get down there to verse 8, he says, again, do not be like them. All right then, so if we're not to be like those who pretend to be something that they aren't, then how are we to pray? Well, that's why the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. So how are we to pray? Well, let's break up this prayer into some little bites that we can swallow it a little bit easier, if you will. And the first thing we find in learning how to pray is the person of prayer. The person of prayer. Notice verse 9, as Jesus begins to teach his disciples uh, a prayer, how to pray, uh, a guide, if you will. He's not saying here that they need to repeat this prayer rotely uh, or memorize it and only say these words. He's saying this is the guide for your prayers. Don't just say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy King. It just becomes words then. And so often you, you see that and you hear that. Uh, I remember when I was a chaplain for our high school football team, that was a prayer they always prayed right before every game, but it was just words. It was just words that never meant anything truly in their hearts. Now, a few it probably did, uh, but for many it didn't. And, and so he says here, pray then like this. Not exactly this way, not exactly these words. It's not some magic formula but it's a, it's a pattern here for us to use for our prayers. And so he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now that's the place to begin in learning to pray. Our Father. That's the very first place the prayer starts. And why is that important? It's important because not just anybody can call God Father. I mean, God isn't everybody's Father. Now, somebody may say, but God is everybody's Father because he created them. Well, that's not so. God created our pets. He created our dogs. He created animals. But he's not our animal's Father. He's only their creator. You see, God isn't everybody's Father. Listen to what Jesus said. When talking to the unsaved in John chapter 8 and verse 44, John 8 verse 44, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You say, well, if if God isn't the father of everybody, then how does God become my father? How do I get into his loving eternal family? And that's a good question, and there's a good answer. It's found over in John's gospel, in John chapter 1 and verse 11 and verse 12, that says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And there's only certain people on this earth that have the right to call me father. That's my kids. Three kids, that's the, that's the only ones who can call me father and it be for real. Uh, and, and Because they've been born into my family. Galatians 3 verse 26 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And, and so that's the place to begin The place to begin our prayer is with the person of prayer. How wonderful to be able to lift our eyes towards heaven and to be able to cry out, Our Father. Then we read in verse 9, Hallowed be your name. Now, the Greek word that's translated hallowed there is where we get our English word sanctification from. It's where it means to be set apart. It means to respect, to reverence, to honor. So in our prayer time, we are to honor and to respect God. Hallowed be your name. In other words, when we're talking to our Father in heaven, we're not to just do that flippantly. There ought to be this holy respect, this, this awe, if you will, uh, of whom we are talking to. And just like a, a son talking to his father uh, shows respect, we need to show respect to God. Now that doesn't mean that, that when you pray, you've got to use uh, the language of Shakespeare. You know, prayer is is talking to God. So I mean, think about this. Suppose one of my kids came up to me and said, "Oh, how hell thou, Pastor Father uh, of Highland Baptist Church, I beseech thee that thou wouldst grant my child, whom thou lovest, some financial assistance that I might I may jo- I may sojourn to yonder." mall for some clothing necessities. Be like, what? (laughs) That's not how they would approach their father. They'd say, Dad, I need some money to go get some things at the mall. Remember, God is your father. He's the person of prayer. In fact, here's how the Holy Spirit tells us to pray. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus, there is to be a boldness in our praying because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So I want to ask you a question. Is he your father? Is he your father? Have you been adopted into his family through Jesus Christ by faith? Galatians 3 26 for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith it's then that you too can pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name not their father not my parents father not my grandparents father not my friends father but our father in heaven hallowed be your name you know we're reminded throughout the Bible that God is referred to by various names. Each name reveals an aspect of his divine nature and his character. And here are some of the names of God that that can help us when we pray, as we're praying, Our Father, as we're praying, Hallowed be your name. In the Old Testament, God was referred to with such names as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. He was referred to as Elohim, the Mighty One, Genesis 1-1. He was referred to as El Roy, the God who sees me, in Genesis 16 and verse 13. He's referred to as El Elyon, the Lord Most High, in Psalm 9 and verse 2. He's referred to as Abba, Father, my Lord, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. He's referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first and the last, Revelation 12 or 22 and verse 13. He's referred to as the Ancient of Days, God on the throne in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. He, he Another name for God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider, Genesis 22:14. 14. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals in Exodus 15 and verse 26. Jehovah Nisthi. The Lord my banner uh, in Exodus 17 and verse 15 through 16. Jehovah Makkadesh, the Lord who sanctifies in Leviticus 20 and verse 7 through verse 8. Jehovah Shalom. You know what Shalom is? Peace. And so he's the Lord my peace in Judges 6, 24. He is Jehovah Roy, the Lord my peace shepherd in Psalm 23 verse 1. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, my righteousness in Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. He is Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is present in Ezekiel 48 verse 35. And there's many more that you could go through the Bible and find out. There are various names given for Jesus in the New Testament that are also helpful in our times of prayer. Some of those names point to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 35. He's the light of the world in John chapter 8 and verse 12. He is the door of the sheep in John chapter 10 and verse 7. He's the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and verse 11 and 14. He's the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty five. 25. He is the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, verse 6. He is the true vine in John 15, verse 1. And so how does all that work? I mean, you kind of see some of the names of God. You see we're to pray our Father in heaven. So how does this work? How can we utilize the names attributed to God in our prayers? We can pray using God's name by praising and thanking God for his provision and for his blessing by praying, Our Father, Lord, I I bless you today. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Thank you that you will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I thank you that you are El Roy, the God who sees me. You look down on me and those who my life influences so you may have mercy on us. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life, I pray that you will guard me with your truth and you will lead me in the way that you want me to to go i thank you that you are el shaddai the god almighty and become and because nothing is too difficult for you help me lord to remember that no matter what i face you will uphold me by your righteous right hand in jesus name amen thank god for his protection by praying father i praise you that you're that you're jehovah nisi you're the lord my banner Thank you that you fight for me while I I keep silent. Your word declares the battle is the Lord's. Thank you that today no evil will befall me nor any plague come near my dwelling. You will give your angels charge concerning me to guard me in all of your ways. You will strengthen and protect me from the evil one. I acknowledge my complete dependence on your protection that unless you guard me and my family, every other watchman keeps awake in vain. I need you, Lord. You are my protector. When we pray the names of God, the Bible becomes even more alive as we faithfully interpret verses and apply them as promises regarding our needs and our situations. You know this, God is still God, and he wants to show himself mighty in your life. His names indicate who he is and how he desires to move in our hearts and our lives. You know, if scripture says that God provided for or protected somebody in the past, then we have every reason to ask God to do the same for us. God is still alive, and so is his word. Hallowed be his name. I want you to see the second part of this prayer, the purpose of prayer, in verse 10. Notice verse 10 again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So from the very get-go here, in the beginning of the prayer, once we've, we've acknowledged who God is and his name and, and, and we're, we, we've uh, pray, brought honor and glory to him, he says we're to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the focus of our prayers, the purpose of our prayers, is to be on him and his will not our will, not our necessarily our desires. Now, we can share our desires to him, and he may grant the desires of our heart, but if our desires are selfish desires, he probably is not going to grant those selfish desires because he knows he wants the best for us. You know, once we have put those previous steps of this prayer into practice, then we can surrender ourselves to a, as a living sacrifice to the Lord and ask for God's perfect will to be accomplished in our life. Jesus wants us, to surrender daily to his will. So it's not just a one time you walk down the aisle, you surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and now you can go and do whatever. You got your fire insurance, you're going to heaven, uh, and you can go live whatever the way you want. Paul even addresses that in the book of Romans and says, heaven forbid, no way, that's not what God is is saying that you can do. Uh, It's a daily surrendering to the will of God. And so, the characteristic of prayer here, uh, the characteristics of prayer in general, uh, is seen in Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as Jesus himself. Before Jesus was conceived, you'll remember that the angel Gabriel visited Jesus' mother, future mother there, Mary, uh, who lived in Nazareth. And Gabriel told her that God had chosen her to give birth to the Messiah. And she questioned how could this possibly be since she was a virgin? Well, Dr. Herschel Harb said this. He said, the first one to question the virginal birth of Jesus was the virgin herself. Gabriel explains to her that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and she would miraculously conceive Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus, in her humble, submissive response, she said this in Luke 1 and verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. Well, that would be our prayer. I am the humble servant of the lord that's what we're saying when we're saying your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we're saying lord i am your servant let it be uh, to me according to your word mary surrendered completely to god's will jesus also surrendered completely to god's will remember when he struggled with prayer there in the garden of gethsemane the night before he was crucified jesus wasn't a coward Uh, he didn't fear physical death instead in his righteousness and his sinlessness, uh, he questioned the idea of drinking the bitter cup of God's wrath by dying on the cross as an atoning sacrifice, bearing the sins of all mankind. In an obedience to God, the one who knew no sin would become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what Jesus submissively embraced in in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He offered himself to the Father's will with those famous words, Your will be done. If Jesus found it important to say to the Father, Your will be done, how much more for us? You know, at Calvary, salvation was completed when Jesus surrendered his will the night before in Gethsemane. Your will be done. You know, the question we need to ask ourselves is, Am I truly surrendered to the will of God? You know, before we know God's will, we have to surrender ourselves to it. And so we need to ask Am I willing to die to my own selfish desires and to ask God to accomplish His perfect will in every aspect of my life, even before I know what His will is? Because so often for us, Lord show me the list I want to know what your will is I want to know what the whole plan is lay it out for me day by day week by week month by month year by year I want to see the whole plan then I'll tell you if I accept it the Lord says no you accept my will all or nothing before you even know it surrender yourself completely to God's will by offering yourself as a living and holy sacrifice to him Uh, In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12 in verse one and verse two. He says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to learn to surrender to the will of God. We also need to learn to die daily to our selfishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul said, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. He said this in Galatians to the Galatian church. In Galatians 2, verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to come to the place to surrender to his will. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this aspect of the prayer. This part of the Lord's Prayer is ultimately about whether you really trust God or not. Do I trust his will? If I do, no matter what it is, Lord, I'm going to surrender to your will even when I don't know what it is because I trust you. You're not going to bring harm into my life. You may stretch me. You may cause me to to be in positions or places that I may feel uncomfortable, uh, not as as confident to to share or to be a witness for you. But, Lord, I'm going to trust you that in and through this, you have my best uh, at heart in what you want for my life and so to pray for his will to be done even when we're not sure what that all really means speaks to the issue of where our trust is focused at because if we don't trust God here to bring about his perfect will which is good for us and brings glory to him then how can we expect to trust him with all the other things uh, that he will want to bring we will want to bring before him in prayer you know when we sing songs like I am thine, O oh Lord. Do we really mean for always and at all times? When we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, do you mean it as long as it's where I wanna go? Or is it wherever He leads? When we sing the song, I surrender all, do we mean all, everything, every part? Or just the parts of my life that I feel comfortable surrendering to you. I'm going to hold back on these other things. You see, when we truly understand, when we truly grasp the understanding of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then everything about who we are and all that we will become is placed on the altar of sacrifice. And it's then that we'll be able to pray and live in the center of God's will. Thirdly, notice this, the petition of prayer in verse 11. Verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Are you surrendered to the the will of God? Because before we can know God's will, we have to surrender ourselves to it. Are we willing to die to our selfish desires and ask God to accomplish His perfect will in every area of our life? If we are, then we should be willing to be content with whatever He gives us. That's why in this aspect of the prayer, it's so important when it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Now notice it doesn't say our weekly bread, it doesn't say our monthly bread, it doesn't even say our yearly bread, it says our daily bread. You know, often God only gives us the wisdom and the discernment and the light from his word. Isn't that what it says? His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It's not a spotlight that we can shoot down there and see what the end looks like we just get a little lamp that lets us know what the next step and maybe the next step is, but that's about it. Uh, The next steps that we need to take to stay in his will. And and so when it comes to our needs, he does the same thing. And we have to learn to be content with the blessings of that day. God is a good father to his children. And based on uh, that relationship with him, we can know that he will provide for us. Think about this. We, we're entering into, uh, for some gener- some of the generations coming up, into unparalleled financial times. Uh, things are, are skyrocketing in prices. Uh, things that are just the necessities of life have shot up uh, in prices. And, and the question we begin to wonder is, how in the world am I going to pay for those things? How in the world am I going to have food? There are families who are struggling every day. You don't believe that? Come here on a Friday, and you'll see this whole parking lot here filled up in the upper parking lot. With people who are coming not only from Tullahoma, they're coming from Nashville, they're coming from McMinnville, they're coming from Fayetteville, they're coming from everywhere because there's a ministry here trying to provide food to help people through difficult times. When we pray, we pray asking for our daily bread, we know that we can trust him, that he's going to provide for us. He's going to provide the needs that you have. Notice that he says for us to ask also for our daily bread. He reminds us here that regardless of our place in life... We all depend totally upon God for the daily supply of our material needs. Uh, We depend on on him for everything from the breath that we breathe, uh, the life that we have for companionship, for emotional support, for spiritual guidance, for, for vision, for hope. But here he focuses primarily on the physical needs represented by the bread. And so just like we could not possibly... We might try sometimes, but we couldn't possibly eat enough at one time to sustain us for the next six months. Nor could we, that air's got to supply me for the next six months. Not even for a week could you do that. We have to depend on God for what we need for that day as we need it. One breath at a time, one bite at a time. Uh, one, One heartbeat at a time. God wants us to ask for those needs because he knows we often have short memories. And we often forget that he's the one who supplies our every need. So praying for our daily bread removes pride and it removes materialism because we begin to realize... I don't have it in myself to provide those things, but God does. It it reminds us uh, that that God hasn't promised us anything except to meet our needs. Someone has wisely said this, God will meet all of our need, but not all of our greed. We only need to pray every day for that day's bread, and we have to learn to be content with what he gives us. Because the same God who gave us his son, Jesus, will also give us everything we need in this life to do his will. I mean, you think back to the the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, and and they were wandering around in the wilderness. How in the world are they going to grow crops? They're moving from one place to another. So they needed some source of food. And so God had Moses to strike the rock, that that the water came out of a rock, and, and they had water. And then you remember, God rained down manna from heaven. But do you remember the instructions that was given about that manna? Only collect what you need for that day, for that one day. And so when Jesus is giving his disciples this instruction, give us this day our daily bread, that would have clicked a light bulb on in their minds to think back to when when their forefathers had been wandering in the wilderness and they only took what they needed for that one day. In fact, you read about those who would take more than they needed for the day and what would happen to it? Huh? It'd spoil. It'd rot. It'd have worms in it. Wouldn't be any good to eat anymore. The only time they could do that was at the Sabbath. They could collect enough for for that day and then for the Sabbath day uh, to have enough for those two days so they didn't uh, have to go around picking up manna on on the Sabbath day. Uh, But God always provided for them what they needed for that day. Every day we're to ask God to supply us with whatever we need to serve him that day and he will answer and he will provide notice the fourth aspect of this prayer the purification a prayer found in verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors so the next step in the Lord's Prayer in his pattern here in this prayer that he gives to his disciples it deals with forgiveness. And so as Christians, we need to ask the Father to forgive our sins. Just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that we don't commit Sin that we don't continue to have sin in our life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 and verse 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But notice that John tells us as Christians what to do when we sin. Sandwiched right between verse 8 and verse 10 is verse 9 in 1 John. And it says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to confess means that I agree with, that I say the same thing about my sin that God does. We're to admit uh, that we have disobeyed Him. And so as believers...